Hi, I'm Jerry Jewell, and I am the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. You are about to take a journey into the world of TV, movies, and music. This is On Screen and Beyond, episode 256 of the weekly show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak. And, of course, we have our interview segment coming your way with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. And this week, we have Jerry Jewell joining us. She was the cousin of Blair on The Facts of Life back in the 80s. She was also on Deadwood, and she has a book out, and it, just a lot of stuff going on. And it's going to be a great interview. It's coming up in a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond. We also have a new feature coming your way. Uh, it's going to be sort of a rotating feature that will mix in with all the others that we usually do. It's called TV Time this week. And uh, next week, we'll take a look at uh, the book Nook. But uh, on TV Time, we've got some great uh, information about a new show that's going to be coming your way. It's it's really a good one. So uh, stick around for that. It's coming up in a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond. But we got so much stuff coming your way. We're going to get right into Remake Madness. It's coming up next right here on On Screen and Beyond. Remake Madness, a remake of the 1986 Burt Reynolds film Heat is in the works. This time around, Jason Statham will be the star alongside Sofia Vergara. And Gil Keenan, the director behind the animated film Monster House, will direct the remake of Poltergeist. And Disney is looking at possibly remaking a live-action version of Beauty and the Beast, as they are doing with Cinderella and Snow White with the upcoming Maleficent. That's it for Remake Madness. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we're going to take a peek at what's coming away as far as upcoming new movies. Upcoming new movies, well, it looks like Jon Stewart is going to be taking time off from the desk of The Daily Show to direct a film that he wrote uh, the screenplay for, and it's called Rosewater, and it's a historical drama. Surprising, huh? (laughs) I didn't think Jon Stewart would do that type of film. But anyways, Melissa McCarthy and Bill Murray will star in a new film called St. Vincent de Van Nuys, and Murray plays a curmudgeon who helps look after... Um, McCarthy's 12-year-old son in the film, and production starts in July. Monster X will bring together 10 classic movie monsters. Look for Dracula and Frankenstein as they're going to be part of the crew. And it all comes from Amit Zappa, who wrote The Odd Life of Timothy Green. That is it for upcoming new movies. Next on On Screen and Beyond, we're going to take a peek at what's coming your way as far as sequels down at Sequel City, right here on On Screen and Beyond. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Sequel City, well, the Star Wars rumors are on, they're off, they're back and forth, and all kinds of things are coming away. Carrie Fisher first said that uh, she was going to be part of 
the Star Wars 7, and then they turned around and she said that, uh, no, I was only kidding. And so it's back and forth. Nobody really knows for sure until everything is settled. But, uh, you know, Carrie Fisher, the, she says she's coming back, and uh, who knows? So we'll, we'll find out when it's, you know, they're all going to say things. And until it's all definite, that's all we can say. That, uh, you know, they, we'd like to see Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford all back in their roles, but uh, only time will tell. And Disney is uh, so sure that uh, Oz the Great and Powerful is just going to keep dominating theaters that they are moving along with having a sequel written. And actress Carrie Russell has joined the cast of Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. That is it for Sequel City. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, we're going to take a peek at what's coming away as far as TV on DVD. TV on DVD Season 8 of the final season of Wagon Train will roll on to DVD in an 8-disc set on June 11th. And on May 21st, you can look for Timeless Media to release the Gene Autry Show, the fifth and final season for that one in a 2-disc set. And Rawhide Season 6, Volume 2, and Volume 1 will ride onto a 4-disc set on June 4th. That's it for TV on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming away as far as movies on DVD? I'm going to tell you right here on On Screen and Beyond. <laughs> movies on DVD 21 and over will arrive on DVD and Blu-ray in July. And also in July, you can uh, look for Jack the Giant Slayer with Nicholas Holtz. And you can also get Disney's Oz the Great and Powerful, which is now in theaters. And... This is another one. Side Effects with Jude Law, Channing Tatum, and Catherine Zeta-Jones will arrive on digital download on May 7th and Blu-ray combo pack on May 21st. And that is it for Movies on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, another new feature, rotating one. This time, it's TV Time, right here on On Screen and Beyond. This week on TV Time, a new TV show called Granite Flats will premiere on April 7th on BYU-TV, and it takes place in 1962 in Colorado, and there's three kids who head out to discover and investigate mysteries in the town. Uh, it, it, it's a great show. I've had a chance to see two of the episodes, and I only wish I could see more because it's that interesting. It draws you right in. It's got sort of the feel of uh, Goonies and E.T. It's all mixed in together with a little nostalgic feel like the Wonder Years. And as I said, I've seen two episodes of the show, and I just can't wait to see more. So uh, it premieres on April 7th on BYU-TV. It's uh, also on satellite. You know, satellites um, has it, and uh, I'm sure cable providers and things. So take a look for that one. And it, uh, it it's just a great show, and it's just drawing you right in. And it takes place on a military base, and uh, the kid sees a comet, and they're going out looking for it uh, that crashes, and all these little things are happening in the town and everything. Great show, so be sure to check out Granite Flats. It's going to be coming your way very, very soon. And we're hoping to get uh, a couple of the people who are on the show here on On Screen and Beyond to talk about it. So uh, we'll see what we can do about that. Well... Next week, we will be checking out uh, probably something from our On Screen and Beyond book nook. And that's on our new features right here on On Screen and Beyond. So uh, right now, it is time to get ready for our interview segment. And we have Jerry Jewell joining us. And she, of course, has cerebral palsy. And she was groundbreaking 
by being one of the first people, or the first person, rather, that was a semi-regular on a TV show that uh, that had a disability. So uh, she's going to talk about that. She's got all kinds of interesting things to talk about. And Jerry Jules coming up next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Joining us today on On Screen and Beyond is an actress and comedian who you'll remember from the TV show The Facts of Life in the 80s and her role more recently on Deadwood. She currently has a book out called I'm Walking as Straight as I Can. It's Jerry Jewell. Jerry, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Jerry, I've interviewed a lot of different celebrities with books out, memoirs, and everything else that they've come out with, and they're always interesting but yours, it's just so many things have happened to you. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. <laughs> it's, it's just like it's, it's one thing after another. Um, it, it, it's, it, what, what made you decide to write this book? Well, it's truthfully, um, I had an autobiography out in 1984, mm-hmm. and it was called Jerry. And I wasn't really happy with it, and I really didn't have a lot to do with it. I did not write it. It was a ghostwriter. Uh-huh. And I had a top-of-the-line book tour traveled all over the United States promoting the book and then the paperback, and it was a book that I was not happy with. And I made a commitment to myself at that time that one day I would write the real story of Jerry Jewell, and it would be all in my own words, and nobody else was going to write it. And I fulfilled that commitment by doing this book. And ironically, you know, I started writing it in 2009, but recently, probably within the last couple of months, I found a a manuscript in storage, and it was called I'm Walking as Straight as I Can. The Jerry Jewell story started in 1986. So I had started writing it and completely forgot about it. Wow. (laughs) I was like, oh, my God, I completely forgot I even started it. Wow, it was like a sign, you know, (laughs) you've got to continue this. (laughs) Yes. I mean, what commitment. I was bound and determined to do it. Wow. So so you actually had the title picked out way back then. Yeah. I, I, it was a play on the movie and book, I'm Dancing as Fast as I Can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That was my intention. There was the humor. And there's a double meaning to it also because it also deals with my sexuality. Mm-hmm. So walking as straight as I can just isn't about cerebral palsy, but it's about being gay as well. Yeah, wow. It's funny that you came up with the title that long ago and, and decided to keep it, uh, because, you know, a lot of times when people write books, the, the, the title changes, you know, ten different times before they come up with the final name of the book. <laughs> That's true. That is very true, which only tells me that it was destined to be written. Right, yeah. So actually, you started thinking of doing this quite a long time ago then. Yes, I did. Because 
at that time in my life, like I said, I was on a nationwide book tour on every single talk show that authors could dream about. And in truth, my life was in chaos, and I couldn't say that truth. Mm-hmm. I had to just smile my way through that book tour, Jeez. and I was so lost, and I was so um, disillusioned with my life and what it was, and what am I doing on a book tour, and why do I have an autobiography at 25? <laughs> <laughs> So actually, by continuing it now, I mean, you, you've added a lot to it since then. Oh, yeah, absolutely, because now at 56, <laughs> now I've lived a little bit, and I actually have something to really write about. Yeah. Wow. And I needed closure. I needed um, clarification. You know, I, I saw things online over the years that I was tired from facts of life, that I got too big for my britches, blah, 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 blah. And none of that was true. And I thought, you know what? I, I need to really set the record straight. Mm-hmm. Another play on the word straight. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So do you find that that's very common, that things are twisted and turned and, and the news media says things or people assume things and, and just twist everything out of the you know reality? Uh, of course. You know, things get taken out of content. That happens a lot. Yeah. I, I remember when I was doing some interviews in the early 80s, and I think it was the Washington Post where an article was written on me and it said something like, I was the sex symbol of the disabled. I never said that. <laughs> I didn't even allude to that. <laughs> and I was like, where did they get this? It makes, it makes you wonder, yeah, where do they come up with this? Is somebody just sitting there trying to think of different things to, to write that aren't true, or, you know, what's what's the story? Well, I, I think sometimes when you try to paraphrase someone, you actually change the meaning of what they actually said. Yeah. That's why I like uh, interviewing people. That, you know, our listeners hear the person who, who says it, and, and there's no misunderstanding. You're saying it, you know, so whatever you say is, is true. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, hopefully. Well, yeah. <laughs> As long as you don't lie to us, right? <laughs> but I'm a comedian. What can I say? Right. <laughs> now, being a comedian, did you, when you were, you know, just a little girl, is that what you wanted to be, or did you want to be on TV, or or, or what were you thinking about doing? Well, truthfully, I was always funny. Mm-hmm. I and I think. I used it as a compensation for not being accepted. If I couldn't be accepted by the non-disabled world, at least I could make them laugh. (laughs) You know, it it was a built-in coping mechanism, laughing at the isolation that I felt, if that makes any sense. Yeah, you know, I understand what you're saying, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean... My whole world when I was little was television because it was an escape. You know, I ran home to watch reruns of Leave It to Beaver and, <laughs> and Father Knows Best. 
<laughs> you know? Yeah. And and then in the evenings, I, I would watch Mary Tyler Moore, Carol Burnett, Partridge Family. I wanted to be a Partridge. Yeah. <laughs> Every, everybody I did. I Partridge. <laughs> <laughs> and so, it, I, in my fantasy world, I felt that television was like a dream come true. Would have been something that would take away all the pain of being different and being isolated. And I especially loved Carol Burnett. And I started writing her when I was about 12 and told her that when I grew up, I wanted to be a comedic actress and a and I wanted to be like her, and by the way, I had cerebral palsy, what do you think? And Carol wrote me back whenever really? she could, and, and she always wrote that I could do it. Wow. She said, there's no guarantee that you're going to become professional, but there's no guarantees in life, period, and you'll never know what you can do unless you try. And that coming from someone like Carol Burnett, was like, oh my God, I can do it. Right, yeah. Wow, that, I mean... And, yeah, and I never, never had dreams of becoming a stand-up comic. That was never my intent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wanted to be a comedic actress. The, the only reason I got into stand-up was because there was a door open to me at the time, and I was shown that door by Alex Valdez, who is a stand-up comic himself, we went to college together, and I was frustrated. I was in my third year of college, and I was complaining to Alex that I really wanted to be in show business. I didn't want to finish school. And he said, well, why don't you do what I do? And I said, well, what do you do? He said, I go to the comedy store, and we can tell blind jokes. <laughs> so Alex got me into it. Wow. Did you ever really get to meet uh, Carol Burnett since that time when you were writing letters? So, oh yes, several times, yeah. and I, I think one of the most moving moments that I spent with Carol was when I told her how much I was grateful for her taking the time to write me as a kid. And do you realize how much you did for me? And she had tears in her eyes, and she said, Jerry. I hope you know that whether I wrote you or not, you still would have done it. Give credit where credit is due to yourself. Wow. That's that's something. And that was amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. When you turned around and started doing stand-up comedy, did you then try to get into television? And how did that come out at, that you ended up being on television? Well, um, one of my first early appearances on TV was a local telethon for United Show Palsy. And I, I basically um, crashed the telethon in a way <laughs> because I was supposed to do volunteer work and to answer phones and take pledges. But my intention was I was going to do stand-up comedy on TV that night. No one was going to stop me. <laughs> and I did it. You know, I had to BS my way through it, 
you know, and get on TV. And then I called Greg Malachi over to me. He was hosting it at the time. And I said, Greg, I said, I'm so frustrated. I have cerebral palsy, and this is a cerebral palsy telethon. And you're supposed to help people with cerebral palsy, not hurt them. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm really impaired. I don't like that. I have CP. Why don't you let me just do stand-up comedy instead? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and looking back at that in retrospect, you know, Blake walked away for a minute, and he came back, and he, his words were so incredible. He said, Jerry, we're coming back from a commercial break, and I am supposed to read within the teleprompter but what I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce you instead and ignore my lines and you have five minutes to do stand-up comedy and don't you dare take advantage of me. Don't you dare go over five minutes. I mean, the gift that he gave me was phenomenal. So did you have butterflies in your stomach, though, when he said you were going to do that? I, I would have never taken advantage of him. In fact, it was just under five. And the executive producer came downstairs, and he ran up to me, and he said, you know, I don't know who you are or how you got on my telephone, but you're damn lucky you're funny. <laughs> <laughs> and Greg took a huge risk. I mean, what if I was... Just awful. Yeah. I, I mean, knowing what I know about television today, oh, my God, to go away from script, he, would have, mm. he put his reputation on the line. Right, yeah, wow. How did it come about that you got your role on Facts of Life, which was one of the first roles? I mean, you had a, a couple other roles before that, but uh, your first major role, I mean, you were groundbreaking at that point. Uh, you were the first person with cerebral palsy that ever appeared as a semi-regular on a TV show, correct? I was. I was the first person with a visible disability ever to be on a primetime series. And I got that break in 1980. I mean, I started doing stand-up in 78. And in 1980, I was introduced to Fern Fields, and Fern Fields invited me to perform for the second annual Media Access Award, which was a dinner honoring people who employed people with disabilities in the entertainment industry. And that night, Norman Lear was in my audience, and Fern has since reminded me that Charlotte Ray was in the audience that night also. Uh -huh. And Norman came up to me afterwards and said, you know, kid, you're really funny, but you're way before your time. And I thought he meant, you know, a couple of months. Okay, so just wait a couple <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea he was talking about a couple of decades. Wow. I did not know how way before my time I was. So what changed his mind to have you put on the show? Well, he took a risk again. And you have to remember, 1981 was the International Year of the Disabled. 
And so Facts of Life was looking for something that was going to bring it back. Because if you remember, it was canceled once and brought back with fewer girls. Remember they mm-hmm. had all those girls yep. in the beginning? Yep. And so Facts of Life was struggling to find its place. And so the idea of Blair having a cousin with cerebral palsy would be so different and so powerful that it could actually boost the Nielsen ratings and accentuate 1981 being the International Year of the Disabled. And it aired on Christmas Eve, 1980. What was your first thought when they called you and told you that you had the part? Um... I, I can only remember it being surreal. I'm sure, geez. And I was introduced to Al Burton and the writers, and it was, it, it, it felt like, um, like a Simon and Garfunkel song. You're on your way. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it was magical. Yeah. Well, Norman Lear was always ahead of the times anyways with the shows that he made always absolutely and actually it was so refreshing to see a real life person more or less than i mean i know everybody's real life you know but they're acting in the show but you know it made the show feel more real when it you were did. on the show. it actually humanized blair if you think about it mm-hmm. yeah it, it was a wonderful way to bring out the softer side of blair yeah. Because Blair was kind of two-dimensional, just stuck up in person. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and here it shows her vulnerability and her fears. Yeah. Now, do you think that, like you were saying, when you were a young girl, you you watched TV because it was an escape, because people were sometimes you know cruel and things like that. Do you think mm-hmm. it's changed at all now? I mean, this is, you know, all these years later, has it changed that anything at all? Has television changed? No, I mean, real life, you know, people with, with disabilities, um, do people oh, now okay. treat them any different uh, than they did back, you know, when you were young? I think that it has changed. There's a lot more awareness, a lot more uh, acceptance. But it, if people with disabilities, along with other minorities, are always going to be subjected to prejudice and discrimination on some level. Mm-hmm. And and even though I was bullied as a kid, I do not think that it was as bad as, as it is today because today it's instant bullying. I mean, I could go in my bedroom and be bullied, not have to go outside. There's right. nowhere to hide from it. There's the Internet. Yes. And that, to me, is very troublesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's. To, uh, I think sometimes I think the internet is is the worst thing as far as you know high school, uh, junior high kids. They, they get on there and they just they bully kids and and it's it's, it's horrible. It, it is. It is. And and I hope that I can always have a part in changing that in children. I I, I am so anti bullying and how to change that being done, because that, that to me is so sad. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree with you, definitely. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, even adults 
do it. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, when I say kids, you know, it, it, it isn't just kids. You're right. It, it's 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 all ages. I know. Yeah, it's it's just ridiculous. But yeah, it's improving. The you know attitudes have changed, but we still fight for employment. We're still a minority in the employment area, and uh, there's only two percent of people with disabilities working in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. And that has got to level out. It's got to change. You know, I I. You know, I've been part of that teeny tiny 2%. And I'm not even regularly employed. It's been sporadic my whole career. Yeah, I'm sure it's hard. In fact, like you say, that on TV today, there's very little. I mean, Glee has some uh, some people with disabilities on. Yep. Um, but if I'm trying to think of another show, I really can't think of well, it. Well, Breaking Bad, The Star. Okay, yeah. Has has cerebral palsy, and yeah. he's a wonderful gifted actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Robert David Ha on CSI. Okay. But, you know, if you can name the peer, then that tells you there's something in balance. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah, you, you shouldn't be able to name the, the, the few, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's a work in progress, but it's just not moving fast enough, really. Yeah, but I, I'm so grateful to be a part of that movement, regardless of how fast or slow it is. I am grateful that I was given this time in life to make a difference in this way, and I hope that what I can leave in my wake is more employment for more people down the road, always. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, with people always saying that, you know, you, you were breakthrough in, back in the 80s when you were on that show and everything, how do you feel? <laughs> I mean, does, you know, I mean, that's quite a, I don't want to say a burden, but, you know, I mean, that's putting a lot on you saying, you know, you, know, you broke ground with that. I, I did break down, and it's a position that will never change, you know. I did it. I was there. I was the one who started it. Um, but I thank God that, you know, with every wonderful thing, there's a shadow side. And I think the painful side of that was, okay, I did this, then how come I wasn't employed for eight years? How come I have to wait five or six years before I get another job? Right. Um, today... I understand as an adult that this is my journey, and I have no, you know, pain and agony over it. But in the 80s, it was so painful. It was like, you know, but I thought you like people with disabilities. How come I can't pay my rent? And and everywhere I went, I was recognized. So it was almost like it, you know, I write in my book, how 
psychologically, I was very similar to a child star because child stars are loved and known to millions, and as soon as they become an adult, it's sign, you know, we already had you. Right. We already did you. Nah, you, you, you're not what we're looking for anymore. Yeah. And it's such a huge rejection. And I think that because I had the fame that I had at that time, and this is what a lot of people don't understand, is yes, I was chronologically 23 years old when I got back to life. But what people do not understand is that emotionally I was 10 or 11 because I spent my childhood in special ed. I was years behind my development. Mm. So the rejection hit me as a child. We don't love you anymore. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of pitfalls and traps that you fall into if you have that psychology going on. So I am grateful that I'm still here talking to you. That <laughs> <laughs> was the facts of life. When you went on that show, did the, the cast accept you right in, right off? Absolutely. That's good. Absolutely, definitely. In fact, I became roommates with Lisa Wachtel. We lived together for about a year. Oh, now Deadwood. Well, ah, yes. how, how did that role come about? Did you have to audition for that, or did they write it specifically for you? Or Well, I'll tell you. Um, in 1999, I had spinal cord surgery from C1 to C7, and I honestly thought that, okay, now my career is over. There's no way I'm going to get work again as an actress or a comedian. I'm going to have to figure out how to survive here. And I was standing in line at a yuppie buppy pharmacy in Santa Monica waiting for Botox because I get Botox injected in my neck every three months for chronic pain. Oh. And I was in this pharmacy and this man turned around and goes, oh my God, are you Jerry Jewel? And I said, well, yeah. And he said, well, I'm a huge fan of yours. And I said, well, thank you. He said, I love you. I mean, you've inspired me. Oh, my God, I can't believe I'm meeting you. You want a television series? <laughs> and I was stunned. I said, I beg your pardon? <laughs> In case you don't recognize me, my name is David Milch. And I just signed a contract with HBO. I'm producing a new Western called Deadwood. You want to do a Western? And... I looked up as far as my titanium neck would let me, and I said, you know, God, you have a quirky sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm standing here with terrible poverty, a titanium neck, dependent on Botox, and David Milch wants me to ride a horse. <laughs> <laughs> and the truth of the matter is, is that he wrote his phone number on a prescription pad for an antidepressant, told me to call him, and I was the first person that David ever cast on Deadwood, even before Ian McShane. Wow. That, I mean, that, that's something you, you hear, you know, it's like a movie. <laughs> well, it, it was amazing. And 
like you said, my life had been through a lot of things, and I, I'm, I was lucky to even be alive at that point, much less walking. Yeah. And I think that within us there's a light. All of us have a light, and it's a spiritual light. Regardless of what your faith is, there is a spiritual light that connects us. And sometimes what happens is we let that light go out. We don't even have a pilot light. And that's how so many of us hit such a level of despair that we can't come back up again because we haven't even, we don't even have a pilot light. And as much pain and suffering that I had been through, I still believed there was a part of me that believed that I had more to do in my life. And that pilot light was on in that pharmacy, and David Milk was in my path because I still believed that I had life to live and something to do. Yeah. Now I understand you're on a web series called uh, Child of the 70s? Yes, it's a web series, and on I am a child of the 70s. Right. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, Michael McCall started, created it, and there's a lot of wonderful stars in it. Uh, Bruce Balance, uh, Ann Walker, Allison Amgram, Susan Orson, mm-hmm. and yeah. we're all child of the 70s. Right, <laughs> we're yeah. all children of the 70s. Yeah, right. <laughs> in fact, Susan has been on the show, our show, and uh, so has Allison. They've, they've both been on the show. Oh, okay. Now, you have that show, and then I understand that you are going to be touring with a one-woman show later this year? Yes, I'm finishing that up. It's a it's a one-woman show based on my book. I'm walking as good as I can for the stage. And hopefully I will have that up and running by the summer hmm. is what I'm looking at. Now, Allison has, has been prodding you to, to do that, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, she inspired me. Yeah, because she does a one-woman one show, too, right? Yes, and I read her book, and a friend of mine, Tony, told me, you got to read Alice's book. So I did, and he was right. We have so much in common, and we just recently become friends. She read my book and said, oh, my God, we have so much in common. <laughs> and we do. So, yeah, she inspired me. She was a part of that inspiration. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, everybody should go out and read this book because uh, you are such an inspiration, and uh, I just can't say that enough because, uh, you know, the, all that you've been through and you're still going strong, I just can't say enough about it, so they, they should get the book <laughs> and find out all about oh, it. Oh, thank you so much. Now, I, I'd like to finish up with two final questions, if you have a moment. Okay. First off, as far as when you relax and sit back and watch TV, what are your favorite TV shows now and of oh, all time? Oh, God, Hot in Cleveland is one of my favorites. That's funny. Uh, um, Breaking Bad, um, gosh. I, you know, I I don't watch a lot of TV because I'm working so much on the road. Right. Yeah. But but 
definitely uh, hot in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. I love American Horror Story. Oh, yeah. What about movies? What are your favorite movies of all time? Oh, there are so many. Uh, um, gosh. Well, I, I, I love the, um, that movie that was all in black and white and silent. What was it called? Um, uh, the Artist? Yes. Mm-hmm. The Artist. I love that movie. Yeah, with a little dog. Um, I like the dog. <laughs> I know. I know. The dog was wonderful. Um, I loved Lincoln. I thought Lincoln was incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of movies that I like. Um, I haven't seen the one with Leonardo DiCaprio, but I want to see that one. Well, Jerry, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. And uh, everybody should go out, as I said, and get I'm Walking as Straight as I Can. And I know there's a, there's a continuation on that title. Um, I'm just trying to find it right here. I'm Walking as Straight as I Can. And it's very similar to your title. Yes, I know. That's why I was going to say it. <laughs> but I, I can't find it. I'll tell you if you want me to tell you. Yes, go ahead, because I, I, I can't find it right off the bat. <laughs> okay, Transcending Disability in Hollywood and Beyond. That's right. There we go. I just found it, too. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's easier just to remember I'm, I'm walking as straight as I can, but uh, that's the full title, like you said. And people should definitely go and get it because it's so inspirational. And uh, I thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Oh, thank you for having me on this show. It was a pleasure. Jerry Jewell, whether you remember her from uh, The Facts of Life, where she played Blair's cousin, and uh, you might remember her from Deadwood. Whichever one you do, she's a great actress and a fascinating person, and she's got just so many great stories, and we thank her so much for taking the time to talk to us here at On Screen and Beyond. Uh, It's just a lot of fun to hear her stories. And if you get a chance, check out her book, because uh, it's got so much stuff in it, and you just... You know, you, you just want to help her because, you know, it's just, it, it's just so much stuff that she has gone through. And uh, it's just so nice, you know, to have her here. And I appreciate it. So we are now toward the end of another episode of On Screen and Beyond. If you are on Facebook, be sure to like us. If you're on iTunes, be sure to go in there and leave us a comment. OK. And if you have a suggestion for a guest, you know, sometimes I don't think of everybody that's out there. Uh, but I'm always searching for more people. So a lot of people are sending in requests, you know, for people or suggestions. And I do my best. Uh, I can't get them all, you know. Uh, I, I just can't do that uh, because, uh, you know, some people, they're just not doing interviews. Uh, but uh, you never know who we're going to get. Uh, so just go ahead and give me your suggestions because it helps me out. Uh, it gives me a, something to look for, you know, because uh, sometimes I'm looking for a certain person and uh, and I forget about other people. So. Go ahead and send it to us at feedback at onscreenandbeyond.com. I'll see what I can do about getting that person on. Well, that is it. Next week, like I said, on our new features, we'll probably be looking at our book nook to find out some um, couple of new books that we got and uh, had a chance to, to look over. And uh, it's, it's just uh, some really good stuff. So that's it. That's a wrap for this week of On Screen and Beyond. And until next week, when we once again take you on screen... And beyond, I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care.
Thank you.